Hey guys, it's me, the first show after Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Hope you guys are doing well. Guys, this is going to be an awesome episode with two, two of my, my brand new friends. We're going to be talking about some fun stuff. We're going to be talking about some hard stuff. As you guys know, I'm coming up on 35 years being drug and alcohol free, so getting ready to celebrate. So we're going to be talking about recovery, resilience, PTSD, military. We've got a lot of stuff we're going to talk about. But first, I want to thank our sponsor before we even get started. As you see down below, my friend J.F. Holmes actually writes science fiction, um, sci-fi books, which is kind of like it. It's it's kind of like when we were in the military and we would play Halo. He's writing books like that. So, guys, if you love to read, if you love science fiction, if you love military uh, fiction, check out the books down below. So, guys, welcome to the show. How was your guys' Christmases? Pretty good. Nice. It was relaxing. How about yours? I got to spend uh, it with my, my family. I got a couple couple video games. I can't wait to get to go play after after we hang up today. So life is good. Nice. Mine right, was so fantastic. Oh, by the way, you spend time with the family. Uh, with my pack family, uh, it was the first positive Christmas I've had in a while. It seems like I have had funerals before every other Christmas. So this was the first one I didn't have to go to a funeral. I actually went to a wedding. So it made this Christmas that much better. Wow. That, that's, that's, that is really cool. Um, so now before we even get started, let me ask you guys a question. I'll ask you separately. Drew, what is your definition of resiliency? Resiliency, the, you know, the, the getting kicked down and, and, and getting back up, you know, it's, it's everybody's, everybody's a little bit worn, you know, but uh, the resilience, uh, you know, the, those with resiliency, you know, they, they still rise back up and, you know, and are able to overcome and, um, you know, so resiliency to me is, is, you know, um, is, you know, yeah, exactly that. <laughs> It's, um, you know, the ability to be worn and, and to, to, you know, still have use, you know, being being resilient is, is exactly those characteristics. Dave, what is your what is your definition of resiliency? Yeah, you talk about being worn and getting back up. I, I've been down to the bottom of the barrel so many times. Resilience is continuing to breathe through all that adversity, you know, never giving up on yourself um, and just keep coming back. As long as you keep coming back, you're, you're going to make it to your deathbed, wherever that might be. So resilience is, to me, is a very strong word. It's right there along with patience and and uh, one of those virtuous words that I, I depend on to keep me going. Okay. So, you know, let's get down to the, to the down and dirty. Um, you know, so Drew, just give us a quick down and dirty about who you are and about how you came to do what you do. Sure. Um, back in uh, 2013, I had a, well, you know, growing up, I had a, a close friend that was destined to, to join the Marine Corps. And uh, he, uh, following in both of his parents' footsteps, mom and dad were both Marines. And um, they, um, uh, he, well, he went off and, and served his, his uh, eight years in the Marine Corps. And uh, he, was, he was very proud of his service. You know, he always was. He was proud knowing he was going in. You know, he was proud coming out. And um, But he definitely went through a lot in his service. You know, he had uh, spent time in, in Iraq, Afghanistan, you know, on, on two separate tours. And um, the uh, impact it made on his mental health was, uh, was, was severe. 
And uh, we ended up losing him to PTSD related suicide back in uh, 2013. Um, we actually just uh, just had a memorial for his uh, 10 year um, since his uh, memorial date. And, uh, you know, just to, to remember him and, and why we, we got everything started. But, um, you know, um, me being uh, unaware of uh, at the time that, you know, 22 veterans a day were, were taking their, their lives, taking their own lives due to, due to PTSD related uh, traumas and stress and, you know, everything else. Um, I, I had no idea until we lost Randy. And so I had, uh, just started diving into research and, and kind of going through a depressing, you know, depression phase myself because, you know, not understanding why, you know, somebody so close would, you know, and, and somebody that I thought was, you know, um, more resilient himself at the time, but his, his mental health had gotten so severe that uh, you know it was beyond what anybody understood at the time and and, and as far as you know um uh ptsd so when um uh, the the deeper i got into the research the more i saw that nobody was really doing anything like i mean this we're talking 2013 10 years ago um nobody had programs for for veterans that you know were coming back from from these wars nobody was giving them a, a place and you know a, you know in time to, to process everything that they had literally gone through and and that's a um that was a there was a huge hole you know i'm like how could this you know how could this possibly be and then me being a civilian had no idea you know you hear people complain you know during political seasons and stuff like that about you know one issue or the other but until you until you really dive into the research until you really get out there and start talking to veterans whether homeless veterans or those that are that are struggling because you know when you when you go in you you start to learn that you know these stories are are um these individual stories and then i'm talking about each person is is um has got so much more um that that is untold that they don't you know that they won't uh, often even talk about and uh and it leads to just more more um uh, severe symptoms severe ptsd symptoms by by not processing it so by not having a place or a program or you know time um we somebody had to do something so you know the plan was to to have a, 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 a location where any, you know, veteran that needed um, to get, you know, start with a place to stay, you know, where they had, you know, their own um, sympathetic and not only sympathetic, but empathetic, you know, brother, you know, brethren, brotherhoods, uh, brothers and sisters, you know, nearby um, that, that totally could not, not just, you know, again, that, that can sympathize and say, oh man, I feel for you, you know, whatever else, but, so, you know, can say, look, I've been there too. I, you know, I'm there right now. I was there last night. I got through, you can get through it. You know, let me walk you through. I'm, I'm right here with you. Um, and by creating that kind of environment, you know, that kind of real experience support, um, these, these guys are, are, you know, very motivated to, to grow and to, to work on, on the healing process and to not only that, build homes and futures in addition to what they're doing. And so, you know, not just creating the community, but creating the housing. Like right now we're building Dave's 
tiny home which uh we're, we're getting started on so that dave has a forever place you know he's never gonna have to worry about where you know where he's gonna whether he's gonna have to place uh have a place to rest his head again you know um and um, he'll be surrounded by his his uh you know um, brothers and sisters um from different branches of the military um and um you know um yeah not only that his animals the animals that we we use for for uh, mental health therapy are, are unique compared to most uh, mental health organizations that have your typical chihuahuas and poodles and, and stuff like that. We we go with a different breed. Um, and uh, I think, it, it, again, it kind of speaks to the warrior and the, the, that's in the veterans. You know, it's more of a um again a pack animal and uh you know so so we you know that and that's kind of how the wolves and wolf dogs got implemented was to be you know therapy animals that all these rescues that we do um we end up having to rehab them and gain their trust and and other um other you know intense time consuming efforts that that you know only somebody that can get really grounded that knows how to handle tense situations, you know, all the stuff that veterans are, are trained for. So they've got a good head for um, working with um, animals that can be dangerous, especially when they're feral. Um, I don't think that the, the breed is necessarily inherently dangerous in, compared, uh, in comparison to other dogs. Um, many would argue chihuahuas are, are, are a lot more vicious than, than wolf dogs. Um, but, uh, you know, again, with, um, with their, their ancestors still being out there in the wild and everything, there's, there's a lot of stigmas around, um, the breed that they can't be, you know, trained or rehabbed or become, you know, sweet or therapy animals when, when in fact, I, I would argue to the death that, uh, these animals are the most empathetic and, and, uh, these animals uh, reach uh, specifically and particularly our veterans in a way that uh, other animals just can't have that same impact. Um, so we combined the two, made our Heroes and Hybrids program, and um, founded Pack 22 within our within Mattersville communities. Our animal care team that works with the wolves or and wolf dogs they're they're called Pack 22, um, and uh, they've. Uh, again, has been with us long enough to where he's actually a founding member of Pac-22. He's one of the original uh, first 22 team members. Um, All right. So well, before uh, well, even before we talk to my talk to our brother Dave, want to give thanks out to Tom Dorney. I love you, brother. Thank you so much. I love you. You know, you're 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 my boy. You're my boy, Blue. So I just wanted to say, Tom, I love you, brother. Thank you so much. So, Dave, my brother, my military brother, talk to me. Give me a quick down and dirty about who Dave is. Tell us about your military career and what you got going on now. Yeah. Hi. Um, David Childress. Uh, I, um, I was a senior during 9-11. And so as soon as I graduated, I joined up trying to do my my part. And that set me on a, on a path that... I didn't realize I was going to learn so much from, but I'm glad I survived long enough to learn all those life lessons that now I can take all of that negative and all that darkness I went through to, to help other people out of that same, that same mess. Um, we, we often blame ourselves and, and then uh, abuse ourselves, kind of punish ourselves after, after things happen in our lives that we haven't, um, that we hold ourselves accountable for. Uh, my, my time in Iraq, 
there was a loss of life that I, for the last two decades up up until recently, I I blamed myself for um, because I was still a kid um, with a big heart from small town Oklahoma. I I went into my military service thinking that uh, thinking that it was going to be different, and then Iraq happened. Uh, then I've spent the last 20 years kind of punishing myself. Uh, and then I, I found Mattersville on all things. I found it on TikTok. Drew was putting out some videos about rescuing animals. And, and I closely related myself with the wolf dogs because, you know, they're an alpha predator of their world. And so are humans. And when we fall into captivity, mostly self, uh, um, self-inflicted, uh, just like wolf dogs that are, they get mistreated and abused and locked up just to, so they can breed or, or other things. Um, that's what we kind of do to ourselves as veterans when we're punishing ourselves. And so now I'm in a job that where I can rescue those animals and, and be in a position where I can rescue the same people that were in the, in veterans and, and addicts and everybody that's been through a hard life that's in that darkness. We have the chance to, to help now through this program. Um, I, thinking about Randy being gone for 10 years and all that's happened since he, since he's been gone. Um, we're, we're finally set up to the point where we're going to be able to have such an impact on, on the veterans out there that are, that are homeless and going through a lot of blame and shame um, that, that keeps us beat down. Uh, I'm now in a, on a, on a platform to, to help those people. Um, and it's only because of Mattersville. It's only because of these wolf dogs. It's like Drew said, it's a, it's a therapy that, that not other organizations use because uh, it's just one that's it's, it's a personal thing. And, and being allowed into a wolf dog's bubble and to be uh, respected and, and, and um, trusted, uh, it means a lot after years of not respecting and not trusting myself, and not loving myself. And these dogs brought me back to being able to love them made me love myself again. All right. So now what branch did you serve and how long did you serve? I joined the army. I, I figured I can be like Chuck Norris and go be badass and jump out of planes and uh, operate heavy construction equipment and, and work with a lot of C4 and TNT. And I, I went big, you know, mama said, go big or go home. So I, I tried to go as big as possible. And uh, I enjoyed my time. My, my airborne brother, brothers are, it's a close community. You know, we all have maroon berets and all a little tighter than the, regular army the pogues the legs um yeah i i enjoyed my time in service from 02 to 05 right there at the beginning of iraq all right so i'm, I'm just thinking i'm i'm army i never did anything cool like that i was just i was in the rear with the gear uh but so you you did three years why didn't you stay longer and why did you get out well, after my first tour in Iraq, I came back and I started experiencing breathing problems. And uh, now recently, the, they just in, enabled the PACT Act, uh, which c- covers burn pits. And back then I was around burn pits and I was an engineer around exploded ordnance, breathing all mm-hmm. that stuff in. When I got back to the States, I couldn't breathe normally anymore. And to be airborne, we ran like five miles every day. We, I was physically fit to the point where I shouldn't have been experiencing these problems. And now years later, I'm realizing that it's, it was from my time in service all from all the dust storms, coughing up mud and, and all that, that stuff I was breathing in. I, I came home and the army told me that I had asthma. And so they 
medically discharged me because I wasn't willing to reclass to another job uh, that wasn't airborne. Um, so I was medically discharged. Um, and then I spent the rest, the next two decades kind of just going through life half-heartedly, not loving myself and, and looking for love in all the wrong places led to three marriages and um, some time in addiction that led to prison. Um, yeah. Sounds like a country western song. Country western it's song. Very, <laughs> yep, yep. I even lost my trailer house and my dog at one point. So did you have, you know, since you've had a lot of time to think back, did you ever regret your decision of not staying in? Uh, n not one bit. I don't regret any of the, the, the avenues that my life has taken me down because it, I wouldn't have gone through all the things I, I went through and survived all those things to, to bring me to the, the place of knowledge that I have now. Now, if I would have stayed in, I, I, I probably would have, would have lived a cush life there on Fort Bragg and, and enjoyed my time longer with my brothers. But I needed to go through some things in order to help people that have gone through some things. So I no regrets, never any regrets. Me too. I'm the same way. Uh, but now for me, my suicide attempt came Labor Day 2012 when they medically discharged me because I spent 23 years in trying to become the ultimate soldier. And then when they tell me, well, you're no longer Sergeant Kaufman. Well, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who Richard was. I didn't have an identity. So what was that transition of the military like for you? Uh, I got out and I immediately got married and my new wife got pregnant and I, I went about things the wrong way. I, I, I should have, um, um, I don't know, tried to love myself before I let anybody else in to love me. That would have set me on a better path. But like I say, I, I got out and looked for love in all the wrong places, led me to three marriages, uh, failed marriages because of issues that I wasn't willing to deal deal with uh at the beginning i things i should have dealt with right after iraq knowing um what i knew about vietnam veterans and what they came home and dealt with i i should have been more on point with it but like i say all those things that that i went through have led me to to here to be able to help others so now, now i'm as you guys know I, i'm no professional whatsoever i'm only a ninth grade dropout but i've had over I think almost 1,200 interviews now with doctors, psychiatrists, authors. And I found that when an adult acts out, it's usually because of trauma that happened between the ages of three and 13. And then you add alcohol to the mix. Then you add war to the mix. And it becomes like the perfect storm. And nobody can really tell you how to get out of the perfect storm unless they've been there. So that's what right. you're doing now because you've been there and now you're trying to help other people that have been there, right? Well, one of the things that I like to the, the, try and explain to people how our pro when people ask how our programs work, I actually use an example of the, of the childhood all the way up through, um, you know, to where, where they end up coming into matters. So, and, and particularly with our veterans. So, you know, our, 
a person is born into a family, typically, whether they have siblings and, and everything else doesn't doesn't really matter. There's usually some kind of parental structure of some sort. But regardless, we all have our neighborhood friends, you know, or or even if you're in an orphanage, uh, the kids, you know, everybody's got a path growing up. And um, we also then move into, you know, um, high school and, and, you know, getting older and everything else, you know, your, your world starts to expand just a little bit bigger. Um, you you know, understand more who your extended family is usually at that point. And then oftentimes people go off, to, you know, after they turn 18 and they've been taking orders from their parents and, you know, and whoever they're, whoever's in charge of them their whole lives, you know, they've been told what to do and how to do it and when to do it and, and what's needed to get to be successful, you know, to be where they need to be, um, to be successful adults, right? But um, and then off to, you know, most people that join the military, again, not everybody, but most people join when they're 18, straight out of high school after they get their diploma or otherwise. Uh, and then, um, you know, um, start taking orders from, um, from, from a whole new source, right? They're um, still, you know, um, but still among a pack, among, you know, their new unit, their new, you know, whatever, um, wherever they're assigned to, you know, um, they're, they're going to have um, their pack, their family, their people there, and then their orders, you know. Um, and then, you know, they're, they're going to have their whole service taking orders. I mean, we're talking well into adulthood at this point that they're, they're still taking orders literally their whole life. There's not been a, a, a period of time where they're not essentially taking orders even if you work in between you've got a boss and the boss is giving you orders even if you've you know making your own life decisions as far as where you live that's that doesn't matter you're still taking constant orders so you know then um the day comes where you're discharged you know uh, and you go from from active duty to becoming a veteran you know and um you're uh for the first time you're not taking orders and for the first time you're not assigned a pack you're not assigned a group to, to look out for. You're not responsible for anybody and nobody's responsible for you anymore, including, you know, essentially the, the military itself. So, um, you know, um, that's that's where Mattersville has become so effective is that we don't just offer the um, the um the roof over the head there's a whole community there's a whole pack to get people back in sync with with pack life and pack lifestyle which is you know when i i i, I use that hashtag all the time hashtag pack life because that's that's literally what i the way i think of what pack life is it's you know everybody returning to to finding a pack and and being a part of that community because you know pack strength all has to do with with all its members and, and everybody plays a part in the role in that so Okay, so now, Dave, I want to get back to you a little bit real quick. As you see, guys, I'm writing stuff down because I have a traumatic brain injury. If I don't write it down, I'm going to forget. And a lot of stuff I want to talk about. Um, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts, and stuff I don't really hear a lot about is is the veterans that struggle with survivor's guilt and also moral injury. You know, because veterans and first responders, we see – we do shit that the average person should never see or do. And then when we get home, we're trying to, we're supposed to be quote normal. And I think it needs to be talked about, about the survivor's guilt and the moral injury. I think a little bit more. What are your guys' thoughts on that? I think that that was the, one of the main, main reasons that uh, Randy, who, who we wrote all these programs, you know, around was, 
um, you know, he, he lived as my roommate for years. So I watched him struggle with different, you know, um, all kinds of different social skills. And he would, you know, anytime he would get to the point where his mental health was breaking down, I mean, he would, he would, you know, literally scream about the things that he saw or the things that he was involved in or, you know, um, and everything else. And, and it beat him up every day. I mean, any, I, I, I didn't even, you know, didn't even experience it myself, but the, you know, the, he, he was a very strong individual. He's a strong minded individual and anything that can break him down to where even, even where, to where years later, you know, he's still traumatized by, by what he had seen. Like, yeah, there's, there's definitely a lot of that was guilt, you know, of either not being there early enough or, you know, um, not having made some other decision, you know, um, and it's all, you know, it's all out of, out of anybody's control, you know, um, no decision was made knowing what was, what the future was going to bring, but you can, you could certainly beat yourself up about it. And that's what leads to a lot of suicides. If you, if you look at each, you know, um, uh, veteran suicide case by case, a lot of times there's, there's survival's guilt. It's a lot of, oftentimes people that, that were, you know, um, last remaining members of different units or, you know, uh, different, you know, um, situations. And it's, it's, it's real. It's definitely real. Um, and it needs to be addressed more because, you know, again, the, um, people, people feel even guiltier for having survival guilt. So how do you, how do you crack that open in a way that says, you know, um, that you, you should be, you know, uh, how, how do you let people know without them digging into it? And, and again, it's a, a lot of times so traumatic that that there needs to be, you know, again, somebody who knows what they're what they're talking about and what they're looking at to be able to um, have those conversations and support somebody through even having that conversation. But it has to start happening more because that's, I think, one of the deadliest um, one of the deadliest uh, scenarios that that's actually playing out is there's so much survival guilt um in our in our um, veterans that um that, that that's one of the main contributors to um the volume of suicides to the 22 a day it's like for me it's kind of like i know i've helped over yeah, yeah. 1.1 million Sorry. people but it's the two people that i lost mm -hmm. that that were close to me that i couldn't save those are the ones I always think about. I never think about the ones that I've helped. It's always the, the ones that I couldn't help. So I understand what you're saying. Now, Dave, what were you saying? I was just going to say, um, you know, I mentioned earlier how powerful the words blame and shame are. You talk about survival skill and making it home when others didn't. That's what held me down for so long as I blamed myself for a loss of a fellow uh, airborne soldier. And uh, that that feeling of, of blame and shame held me down for so long and, and led to two different attempts where I I didn't want to deal with it anymore. I didn't want to keep suppressing all those memories because they were just hurting. And uh, it's been 20 years since we lost him. We just passed his his anniversary. Um, and it it was only because of Mattersville that I was able to shake those emotions off. And that's because I was able to come back to, to that self-love through these animals. It's a it's an amazing thing to 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 forgive yourself um, when you really weren't to blame in the first place, but you put all that blame on yourself because 
we take responsibility as soldiers and and uh, for our brothers and sisters that are in the foxhole next to us, if you want to put it that way. So, yeah, survival's guilt. One of the leading causes of you know suicide in veterans. Um, if you didn't survive back there and then you you came back here and you know lost your life, it's it's a whole different level of, of guilt because we're not in a combat zone here. Um, and yet this is where we lose the most life. Uh, yeah. Blame and shame. All right. So, cause I, I can, I have three different parts of my life where I can go back and say, yeah, these were my come to Jesus moments. One was when I almost went to jail for five years for grand larceny and I had to get sober in 1989. Second one is when, um, I, 9-11 totally turned my whole world around. And then when I got hurt and attempted suicide, that's when my whole life changed. So I had three different separate things that those were my come to Jesus moments. Dave, take us back to that day where you said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of being sick. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I need to, I need to start something new. Take us back to the day before you decided to change. Uh, I spent so long in a deep, dark depression where I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, sitting in the same chair, uh, looking at the spot that I could, I could end my life. And I knew that if, if I didn't change, if something didn't, didn't drastically change in my life, that that's where it was leading is I didn't see an end. There wasn't a light at the end of that tunnel. And here I am in my depression, just scrolling through TikTok, And, and I see these veterans that are working with wolf dogs and, all of a sudden there was a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, when you hate yourself so much that you don't care if you live or die, um, it's, it's a powerful thing. And, and it's come to Jesus moment through and through. Absolutely. Uh, because I was wanting to meet Jesus and I, because I, I didn't want this life anymore. Um, and then, uh, when you when your life's given a whole new purpose, you throw yourself into it, and that's all I've done for the past three years is throw myself into helping others and mainly the animals. I people are one thing, but I, I do what I do because I know that these animals are voiceless and they they can't really help what's happening to to them. Um, kind of like those kids that go to Iraq and and come back different. It's it's the similar similarities are so so close. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So now let's talk about the pack mentality, because when we were in the military, like I was on my tank crew, I had my guys. Uh, we knew each other. We knew everything about each other. We knew the wives, the boyfriends, the hugs, whatever. We knew everything about them. And we knew that even if we went to the bathroom, we never went alone. You know, even if we went to the PX to get our hair cut, we were never alone. And then once we step off base, like my friend Sergeant Nick talks about, once we step off base, the military doesn't give a shit about you. Your phone stops ringing. You don't have any camaraderie. You don't have any money. And you're a man on an island and you become the lone wolf. And unfortunately, like I, I talk about a lot, the lone wolf doesn't get fed, but it also doesn't get protected. So I like the idea that you guys actually help the lone wolf come back into the pack and find a family again and find a tribe. 
So I, I love what you guys are doing. So tell us, how, how did that actually start? Did it start with one wolf? How did the whole thing start? Um, it started with the, uh, um, we had a veteran that um, was helping us early on with the first property and uh, he had a wolf dog of his own. And um, I had also grown up um, uh, around some wolf dogs in the, in the summer times and, uh, and everything uh, through a family acquaintance. And um, the, um, the Rocky Mountain Wildlife Foundation out in um, uh, Guffey, Colorado was gonna close down and they had uh, uh, 11 wolves that needed relocation, wolf dogs. And um, they uh, they needed to dissolve to a 501c3 because um, they were just closing down, down, and they wanted to make sure that uh, the pack stayed together. So, you know, we, we went in with the intentions of maybe grabbing like three. <laughs> and um, the... Um, um, the the founder um the director there was was just like you know nobody else is is adopting any like you know we, we we're trying to find homes so the one that could, could ones that could get homes but these 11 we're gonna need you know we need you to take them all and i'm like i i don't know how we're gonna do that we just got this our first property which was you know had um seven acres of of un unzonable like just destroyed land the it's a whole nother story is squatters destroyed this this property that we were our first property that we were building so to build enclosures we literally had to clear the land to where we ended up having um, over three hundred thousand pounds of construction waste and trash removed from our first property so that we could build the sanctuary so we built enough for the 11 enclosures and then it was kind of like okay we're done and then people just started sending you know sending us wolf dog rescues all over the country different groups you know different uh rescue you know mediators and stuff like that and um we were you know we just were always kind of like well we can build an enclosure real quick and you know we can always squeeze in one more and that was that was when there was about seven to ten wolf dog rescues nationwide per year maybe like and we're, we're talking only five you know four four five you know four years ago five years ago um and uh and um, we never thought it would turn to what it is today within, you know, even within this this breed. But um, so after we took those 11, we ended up rescuing Randog, which was named after Randy Hansen. Um, he, he used to be, uh, we, his nickname used to be Randog. So our first rescue outside of the Rocky Mountain Wildlife Foundation, we named Randog in, in uh, his honor. And I ended up adopting him as a, uh, uh, personal therapy animal because he's actually very very tuned into me and uh, we get along really 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 well um, and um, the the calls just kind of kept coming like nobody ever wanted to you know none of these other wolf rescues wolf dog rescues um, they take on the animals with the intentions of, of keeping them forever and the same you know dogs being at their rescue for for life where we have a model where we, you know, the ones that can get into homes, we look to get them into homes because a lot of them can be pets. 
And um, so it, it just kind of kept going and we started adding some different properties or would make partnerships for different properties for um, extended periods of time for big, big rescues and stuff. And so we've rescued now hundreds of, of wolf dogs and, and uh, a very short period of time and currently have uh, about a hundred of them in our care um, at any given time right now. And um, yeah. And uh, we, I, I think we're the, yeah, we're pretty much the biggest in the, in the country at this point. I don't know anybody that has a hundred plus wolf dogs in their, in their care, but uh, yeah, we do that three to five pounds of meat per day per dog you know across the board <laughs> it's uh you know lots of care from all our team members veterans and stuff like that it just kind of grew grew and grew and keeps growing we have rescues that we're, we're working on this week we're we're trying to get out to california and rescue four more and and then we've got uh the last ones from the florida rescue to bring up to, to the new colorado property and we'll and we'll, we'll probably take a break from there for a little bit if we if we can but there's uh, overbreeding was an issue during the pandemic and now there's wolf dogs everywhere that, that need need our help and, and they're getting euthanized all over the place and rescues other rescues you know if you want to call them that are still just taking care of the same animals hardly any of them are adding space adding locations or anything like that or are willing to try or, or whatever so we just keep plugging along so Dave, what makes because I know I've talked to talked to a lot of people. I have a rescue dog. Um, she rescued me. I don't think I rescued her. But you know, I've heard a lot of people say horses are amazing for veterans. So what makes the wolf dog so special to you and to other veterans? Uh, because you have to earn their trust. It's not just a given. Like you know, you're not gonna you're gonna walk up to a lot. A Labrador and it's going to come up and lick your face and love on you just in your first meeting. Well, some of these wolf dogs, it takes a long time of every day working with them and putting in the time and and going above and beyond in some cases, sitting in there for hours just so they, they get their scent, uh, your scent in their, in their memory. Um, it's the work that goes into it. It's, it. it's earning it to the level that we that we have to with some of these animals that have been abused or neglected or, or born feral, it, it means a lot to be able to earn that trust because it's not something that everybody can do. Uh, very few people can do what we do. And that uh, that's probably the one of the biggest purposes that I have found in this place is, is I have a niche for it. Uh, and I grew up around big dogs. And, and so being able to do, do this is, is I'd rather do this than, than work with, uh, anybody else or anything else it, it's definitely my my niche in life right now so so drew so how did you take the wolf dogs and then you decided huh maybe this is going to help veterans how did that come about and who and who was your first your first couple of veterans what are their success stories um so the <laughs> you know there's there's been a lot of trial and error but the the wolf dogs weren't supposed to be a main facet program at all. Um, we actually saw them at first as, as a, a therapy um, outlet for the, the participants that we were planning on bringing in. 
um, but also meant to be a positive coping skill, the care of them being, you know, part of the process of keeping people busy on a day-to-day -day basis. Those, those animals depend on our team, on our care. So, you know, making a, re a regular regimen of weekly care and daily care and, and everything for the whole community, the whole team is a part of that process. And, and if you don't wake up, the animals don't get, you know, if you don't get to it, the animals don't get their care. If you don't get out there and build the new doghouse, they're going to have to sleep in that old crappy doghouse. So everybody's very motivated to, to, to do that. You know, um, I'm sure it's no secret to you that, you know, with, you know, um, in my experience and working with veterans is you're much, much more likely to get uh, 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 an extreme and, and very dedicated effort from a veteran if it's for somebody else. And, um, you know, um, you tell them that you tell them they're building their own house that day and they're like, oh, OK, well, when I get to it, you tell them that you're helping somebody else get a roof over their head and they're like, all right, let me get on the roof and start hammering stuff down. Um, but it's the same way with the with the animals. But again, every, every day they've got to get up and, and, and um, participate in taking care of them. Um, and everybody gets days off, too. But it's, you know, um, the. Um, they're, they're dependent. And, and again, you, you can't, you also can't break the cycle. Oftentimes, like Dave was talking about, you know, they, it takes a while to build your, your, um, uh, to build their trust. And so if, if you don't show up for a several amount of days or weeks, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, you lose that progress. You literally, in, in some ways have to start over with certain animals if you're, if you're not making repeat visits. So, um, there, there's so many things on so many different levels that this does for people's mental health that um, it, it, that was a given. But the other thing being is uh, we, we needed a facet that added the community into our work that, you know, because I'm very big on not pointing out people's mental health issues unless they're open to it, our veteran participants and stuff like that. And how do you advertise? How do you fundraise? How do you tell people that you exist while also respecting the boundaries and the, you know, and the, um, you know, um, for, for the veterans um, that are that are participating in your program? And so, we found that it's easier to show the work with the animals and let people, you know, kind of come to their own conclusions about what that does for everybody's mental health and everybody that's in the story. They're just another team member. We're not talking about the turmoil of, of their lives. And, and, you know, honestly, a lot of the veterans don't want to talk about that with complete strangers anyways. And so mm -hmm. it makes it easy by making the animals the focus. Um, and, you know, um, so, so that we're able to put our work out to to the to the masses then we can throw in that hey we're building this person's house this time hey we're, we're, we're working on that um but hey look at this dog over here so again it's um the people don't have to feel like they're the subject of a of a, a you know of the charity that you know really their work is what's contributing to housing because since we don't have to pay for animal care team because our our team members are doing it themselves as volunteers you know all of our all everything that we raise from from tours where people can come visit these animals and see the communities like firsthand we do tours and um they um you know all, all the contributions since you know this is the team that's caring for the animals go towards the veterans housing to continue growing it out so it's like you know one hand literally feeds the other the veterans are feeding the wolves and the wolves are, are putting roofs over the roofs over the veterans heads so um it it, it kind of came together um in a way that was even better than than what we had hoped for because 
um, again, it, it helps everybody and every, every, all, all those different ways. Cause, uh, you know, it's a very fine balance of trying to have multiple different causes. Right. Um, like I, I get upset and they, they will tell you when, when things get too animal related, you know, I'm like, ah, we're a veteran organization. You know, people think, Oh, this is a sanctuary, an animal sanctuary. No, actually it's a veteran organization first. And, you know, um, yes, there are, there are rescue animals here as well. You know, that's, that's part of our thing, but that's, that's our secondary thing. It's a means to positive mental health for our, our team and for our participants. Um, but, uh, all the other beautiful rescues and, and, you know, all the things that are good for the animals and everything that that's literally the icing on the cake. And it's a lot of icing, but, you know, um, yeah, again, it, it's it does a lot for 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 everybody involved. You know, we don't ever uh, don't ever leave a, a wolf dog hanging. You know, if it needs rescue or is at risk of euthanasia. So, I love that. Now, like, the reason I started this podcast because I found that if a veteran or a first responder has a mission or has somebody depending on them, they're less likely to take the the weapon and and, and pull the trigger if they have somebody else depending on them. So I love that, you know, you guys, you're helping veterans find a mission again. So Dave, you know, what is it like sitting around and being able to sit down and, and have these, these wolf dogs around you? How, how much, how peaceful is that? Well, I, I could tell you about the, the first day I went up to Mattersville up in the mountains. Uh, I had been in such inner turmoil for so long that, it was it was noisy in my head and on this particular april morning it there was a fresh layer of snow so it kind of dampened the sound of the of the mountains and i remember driving up the, the the driveway and getting up there and i shut my engine off and my window was down because i wanted to see if i could hear some wolf dogs and sure enough they started howling and just the power that was in those howls i felt like i was already accepted before i was even in the in the program uh, it was a place I knew that my soul needed uh, because of not only the animals, but the pack, but the, the, the brotherhood and the sisters and everybody that was a part of it. I, I knew I needed it, that 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 purpose was reignited in myself um, beyond what I had even imagined. Like I've pushed myself so far since I've been here, both mentally and physically, and I've I've reaped the benefits from that. Like I when I first got there, I was not able to talk and and through all of the the rescues that i've done last year i drove fifty thousand miles rescuing animals across the u.s we even went up to alaska to do to, to do a rescue up there which was beautiful and amazing but the power to be able to rescue and save another life is is one is a purpose that i'll never forget and that I can't wait to, you know, express to so many other veterans that are in the same position that I was. So what do you guys got going on now? What's what do you guys if a veteran is, is swiping up on TikTok and he sees one of your videos, what's the next uh, the next step? Well, um, you know, the, the biggest first step for anybody, you know, and this is whether they come to us or not, is to really 
you know, the, the advice I'd give any veteran first is to start to discover those positive coping skills. You know, what is your passion? Because maybe, maybe, you know, whether, whether or not we're the right organization um, for everybody, it, it's all, it all has to do with the individual, right? But um, the, you know, the first thing is, is positive coping skills, having and, and, and finding some positive coping skills. But if somebody wants to come and, and check out our program and wants to visit it and experience it, uh, we are limited as to how much space we can we can have residents, but anybody can plan a visit to come up and work with the animals, come and visit with the animals. Um, if you only if you can only make it for a day or two, I, I definitely would suggest a tour or a tour or two over over volunteering. Um, we have two different properties, so it's two different settings. One of them's got about sixty five wolf dogs on it. One of them's got thirty five, or thirty to thirty five. Um, and, um, so there's, there's, uh, and one's in the mountains, one's kind of out in the open plains of, of Colorado. Uh, so, um, you know, really it, it's, um, plan a visit, plan to, to, you know, um, get involved a little bit. And again, if, if, uh, if somebody's needing more of an intensive, um, uh, therapeutic visit um, rather than a tour. Um, I, I would say, you know, book a week or two where, where they're able to come out and, um, you know, and uh, stop by and get fully involved. Um, they would have uh, only about two days of rest per week, you know, because we, we really throw people into an intense program um, where if they're going to be able to get to the point where they can go in with the animals, it takes about a week to a week of training. And then they have about a week of working hands on with, you know, um, some high content and full, you know, close to full uh, wolf and, you know, um, all the all the different animals on our property. And, and it's an experience that absolutely nobody will ever forget. Um, the beauty part is, is because we're crowdfunded and, you know, all we, we do social media um, stuff is that it really doesn't cost anybody anything unless they, unless they need um, on-site housing accommodations and stuff like that. Um, at which point, you know, whatever the unit rental cost would, would be. Um, but we don't, we don't charge for our services. We're on a donation base where, you know, um, we, we always tell people to just, you know, contribute what they're, what they're comfortable with and stuff like that. And, um, you know, um, but for our volunteers, they're putting in time and they're putting in effort, which helps the organization. So, you know, again, we don't, we don't look for any money out of the people that are coming for the therapy. That's what it's, there for that's what we already crowdfunded it all up for is so that the people so that the veterans and and you know anybody that's struggling with trauma for that matter that that truly needs you know um, suicide support um or that wants to go through the through the program to get on a path of healing you know and and by that i mean the mental health healing um because we don't have on-site doctors so you know again it's uh um but anybody that's working on mental health mental health improvement um, we're, we're all happy to have you on board and you'll, you'll, um, become part of the pack pretty quick. It's, um, you know, and then, and then it's about, and the reason those positive coping skills are so important is, you know, if people are, are coming for short visits and, you know, they, they need to be prepared with positive coping skills after they leave. Otherwise, you know, um, they, you know, again, if they don't find a passion that, that they can continue to turn to, that's good, it's healthy and inexpensive. You know, for me, it's like axe throwing. I love axe throwing. So we make axe throwing targets and put them up all over the place. And, you know, but uh, having, having, you know, several of those types of, of 
of things ready to go, um, whether they come to us or whether they, you know, um, go elsewhere. That's that's the most important. Because I was, you know, I was just wondering, you know, because I go to a lot of events. I go to a lot of, um, you know, a lot of um, personal development things, and I see people that go to some place for three days, for a week. They're all pumped up, and then when they get home, it's kind of like they just go back into their to their old world again. So how mm-hmm. do you? What kind of stuff, you know, when as they're there for a week, how do you try to get them talking, opening up about themselves so when they go home, they're not the same person that when they left to fly to you guys? Well, you know, with that, I always I always tell people to set, you know, um, set reasonable and accomplishable goals for yourself. You know, um, if you're going back into a routine, but you're looking to make improvement, um, you're, you, you don't set a routine of your minimum anymore. You got to start adding in those positive coping skills, but, um, you know, find some coping skills that also have an end game. Like, you know, um, in some cases that me and Dave have actually talked about rebuilding a motorcycle and the end game is going to be, you know, that a, we get to tinker with the motorcycle for a while and try and figure out what's wrong with it, how to fix it, you know, whatever else. But, uh, the end game is that we'll have a completed motorcycle and, you know, we'll, we'll both be able to, you know, drive it out, check it out, whatever, sell it and start on a new one to keep our positive coping still skills going or, you know, whatever ends up, ends up coming of it. But, uh, um, there's, if people set goals, then you, you have accomplishments. If you have accomplishments, you're, you're getting that, you know, you're getting that, uh, serotonin hit, you know, and you get that serotonin flowing and, and it becomes habitual. If you make good daily accomplishments habitual and you get your endorphins flowing in the right way you know um and 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 put your you know your your brain back to you know proper balance for you know and then everything starts to improve and again we we noticed that we we've got a little bit more power than we thought over our mental health um but it and that's why i tell people all the time it takes work it takes work 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 and it starts with the positive coping skills and then goals, goals that, that, you know, don't set yourself stupid goals. And I, I, it's the, it's the most ridiculous thing that everybody tries to fix themselves in a week, right? Like, it's like, dude, you're not going to do that. You're never going to be able to do that. It's literally, you know, um, what do they say in AA one day at a time, right? Like, you know, you take, uh, you know, um, that's not how our program works exactly, you know, but again, the, the, you know, again, what I, one, one mission at a time, one accomplishment at a time, one stable, realistic goal that like, I mean, you're not going to go out and save the world in one day. You're not going to save your, your yourself in one day, but you can start making, you know, today's step towards that bigger goal is this. And if I accomplish that, that's a big accomplishment because it all builds up to something bigger. And, and again, that's, that's, you know, we try and set people on a realistic path instead of thinking that they're going to be done by the, you know, the end of the day and the, the week, um, you know, all of our lives take, take constant, you know, work and constant growth maintenance as well. So, you know, that's why I think the new year, new me bullshit, it's all bullshit. Every day you should try the, and I, I was interviewing somebody yesterday. We were talking about how you should try the win to win the moment instead of trying to win the year or the month, just try mm-hmm. to win the moment that you're in. And then you stack like you're talking about, and like James Clear wrote in a book in his book Atomic Habits, you just start stacking your wins. Stacking victories, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 
So Dave, what 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 are you what are you what do you got working on? What's getting you excited? What's getting you out of bed in the morning? Uh, well, currently, uh, I've been building my house. Well, the the pack has been building my house with me. Um, so I am, well, a few materials, but not very long, far away from being in a completed house. The the, the shell is already up. The roof is already on. Just gotta uh, do the insides, which. It's a tiny home, so there's not a lot of room. So it's it's uh it's um it's been a, a goal that we've been moving toward as a pack for for a couple of years now. Um, I I think mine is the first stick build, actual tiny home built for for our veterans, for you know the veterans in our program. Uh, me being the first one because I've been here the longest, but um. Yeah, that's that's my motivation and being able to the unit that I'm in is going to get passed down to somebody else. So there's going to be more room open for other folks to come in. Um, so the more the harder we push now the uh, to get more housing, to get more um, more room for more people. Um, and then the, the animals waking up, they howl all night out here in the in the plains. There's no noise ordinance so they can be as loud as they want. Um, it's music to my ears. It, it, uh, I'd rather be around this and the city sounds than that concrete jungle. Um, that's the beauty part about being out here and by ourselves, we can raise as many animals as we want and rescue as many. And, um, yeah, that, that's a lot of motivation. That's the purpose of, of every day for those of us to live on site. Uh, it's better than, uh, you know, drinking myself into a bottle or, or, any of those other negative coping skills that I was trying to find the same thing that I found here. I, I don't have to go through any of any of those things. Um, so yeah, what exactly, what exactly is a tiny home? Um, that could be, yeah. Uh, I was going to say that, that could be, that could be several different things. There's um, several interpretations, but tiny homes on wheels um, are, are, um, or what people mostly think about these days. Um, I, I have a tiny home that's a 20-footer that was built by Operation Tiny Home. Um, if you've ever seen the, the TV show Tiny House Nation, um, that's uh, their VP, Zach Giffen, is one of the uh, show. Uh, the VP of Operation Tiny Home is one of the TV show hosts for Tiny House Nation. Um, amazing group. Um, they, uh, they are uh, the reason why we implemented tiny homes as the um, you know, as the housing options for, for our veterans. Um, but a tiny home is, is basically an efficiency home on wheels. It's a home that's built like a, a stick build house, but on a tiny home trailer to be able to accommodate, um, you know, the, the entire weight, um, and, uh, they can, they can be moved. They can be placed for, for stationary means, um, or, um, in my case, I, I like mine on wheels, but Dave's is, is going to be stationary, but also built in a fashion that if we ever needed to, to move the house, we'd literally be able to pick it up and, and put it on a uh, different sections on a forklift and, and move it. Um, but Dave's is actually really cool because um, as one of the stick builds, it's, um, it's on pylons. 
and uh, he, we were able to add on, you know, you could either build it with or without the extra bedroom. We opted, you know, um, he had an, uh, was fortunate to have a donor that, that provided the materials for, for um, you know, both, both the, uh, the tiny home and the added bedroom. Um, he's got a loft over his living room kitchen uh, area. So he's got this, um, you know, the, that whole extra space for storage and, and stuff like that. So um, they can basically be built uh built out however but the cool thing the coolest thing i think about tiny homes is the is the use of space is builders in the tiny home realm they can i mean if you've got that extra two inches of space above your cabinets like they're like nope we're gonna lift the cabinets up and we're gonna put a cutting board in or we're you know they're gonna do something with that extra two inches of space so it's all about really just being creative not being wasteful and then not having um uh, the, uh, the curse of consumerism of having to fill a bunch of void space that people have just to have big fancy houses. Um, you know, our, our veterans are very nomadic and, and very, um, uh, minimalistic in, in the sense of belongings and that being the majority, of course, there's some materialistic people out there everywhere, but, um, you know, most that we've run into or the people that are starting to starting their lives over, or just starting to, to recover, um, they're also often very minimalistic and in so many ways they're not greedy or needy. And so the tiny home living is, is the perfect, perfect use of, of space and also has the flexibility to, to move or, or ebb and flow with, with their own whims and, and desires. How big are these houses? I have one that's a 20 footer, um, that, uh, that's got actually my wolf kennels built in it. Um, it's, so it's 20, 20 foot by eight and a half. Um, it's got a loft bed with dog kennels built underneath with special exit doors for my wolves to, to, um, to go out of their kennels and then shelving and everything's built in underneath and, um, you know, and everything else. Uh, Dave, what does your square footage come out to yours? 168 square feet. Yep. So my my garage is bigger than that. That's what you said. <laughs> That's correct. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but it probably the minimalistic like, life makes it easier. And I've been homeless, so I'm sure that 168 foot home feels like a dream home. When especially yeah, if you've been huge. out on the street, and if you've been homeless, absolutely feels like a palace. Mm-hmm. So yeah, last question: I got is, more room than I know what to do with. Is how do we find you guys? How do we support the mission? Well, we've got several several different um, uh, social medias. We're Mattersville on Facebook, um, Pac Twenty Two Alpha on TikTok, uh, Pac Twenty Two Alpha or Mattersville on Instagram, and uh, there's uh, always our website, which is the the good old favorite if you just want to come straight to us, and that's MattersvilleVets.org. Um, and if you want to follow Dave, Dave's going to be going back on the road. Um, he's going to be riding a, uh, a bike across the country um, from East Coast to West Coast to finish a ride that uh, we pulled him away from to go on the Alaska rescue. But he was already in the process of a personal mission to, to make it across country on bike. So you can follow Dave at uh, what's, your, what's your page again, Dave? Uh, Pack 22 Disciple on TikTok. Or Dave David Childress, I think it's Dave Childress on Facebook. Um, I need to have an actual website though before I go. Yeah, next time, yeah, we definitely got to do that. That way, we just have a place to post your updates. But uh, 
he it, it's he's he made it from Florida. He wrote from Fort Myers, Florida to Tennessee last on his last trip. Um, you know, over a thousand miles uh, on, on the bike, and and it was really, really impressive. But this time he's going to go full full cross country. So, um, but yeah, um, mattersvillevets.org. Otherwise, and uh, um, if you like good videos, then Pack Twenty Two Alpha on TikTok. Definitely, and like I said, Dave, um, Tom Dorney, thank you so much for the introductions. I love it. I love you, brother. I and I can't wait to be able to hopefully get out there and support you guys. Maybe do some live stuff out there. I think a live show is in order. I think he ought to just come out and uh, we'll, we'll just have to set aside uh, the um, the uh, guest room in the mountain house for you for a weekend and uh, we'll get uh, get you to meet. I, I would love for you to meet all the veterans. I mean, honestly, um, Dave's, Dave's got a, an amazing comeback story himself, but so does every single one of the veteran participants on our property. If you showed up and you, uh, and I, you know, I don't, I'm not going to come on here and tell everybody's story for them. Um, that's part of their process. But if you, I, I have a feeling if you come up and you started getting to know them and dug in a little bit, that it would, uh, not only be, um, some, some, uh, opening stuff for other people, but, uh, you might even get, uh, get the wheels turning for some of the veterans that, that uh, may be ready to start telling their story. Cause uh, part of, again, processing that is, is important. Yep, but man, I, got, I got a couple friends out there. Um, my friend, Ryan Hemhauser owns disgruntled veterans. So maybe we can all get together and do something and try to support the mission. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right, I love you. Dave brother. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you. And I'm going to find you on, on Facebook today. I'm going to friend request you and message you. So you know it's from me. Um, I don't have any VAs or anything like that. I'm it. So, guys, if I'm if I ever, anybody gets in touch with you, it's always me. There's nobody else. Awesome. Oh, yeah. Well, we really appreciate you having us on the show, too. Like, I mean, being able to, to – um talk to talk to your 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 followers and your supporters and constituents uh, again just you know again know that uh we're we're out here for you guys as well if anybody's uh in need of support we're you know just have them have them reach out and you know again we don't we don't have houses for everybody yet but you know we we definitely are, are happy to take people in on a daily basis or you know short-term basis to to give them a hand up if, if we can all right, guys, so make sure you check check out their websites, check out their TikToks, check out their Instagrams. They're fire. I love them. Guys, thank you so much. And, guys, um, I just wanted to put out there, if you've seen, I've been drinking all the whole time. I came out with my own coffee. It's called Vertical Momentum Coffee. Twice the energy, twice the caffeine, no crash. Best part is 100% of the proceeds go to help veterans struggling with PTSD and homelessness. So if you guys love coffee, write coffee down below, and I'll get that information to you. Drew, Dave, brother, thank you so much. I'm so grateful for you guys, and hopefully we can jam together in the future. Sounds good, brother. Take care. Love you guys. And guys, remember, vertical momentum, the only way to go is butt up. I love you guys. Make sure you take care of each other. All right, guys, have a great week. Take care of yourself, and I love you guys. Yeah, take care, brother. Thank you again. Thank you for joining us today. Please hit subscribe and share. Please feel free to leave us a comment.